Hi, it's Dave. Welcome to my channel. This past week or two, actually the past couple months, Tesla's volatility has been insane and it's been scaring people and people are having some doubts. In this video, I want to share my thoughts on stock manipulation. Is it real and what can you do about it as an investor? Now I think stock manipulation is real. I mean, welcome to the real world. We're dealing with lots and lots of money in the stock market that's very liquid. We're talking about trillions of dollars just going back and forth. And in this crazy stock world of trillions of dollars being traded, you have a lot of unscrupulous people who are willing to just do anything they can. Doesn't matter about the morals, they just wanna make that extra buck. And this is the reality. And the key factor in all of this is human sentiment. You see, there's a big weakness in humans in some ways, and it can be a strength as well, but there's a lot of emotionalism and subjectivity, and there's a lot of fluctuations in people's mood. You know, you get very happy and you get very sad, you get very optimistic and you get very pessimistic. There's a stock manipulation world out there, and they have a lot of expertise in knowing how to manipulate people's sentiment and feelings. And as an investor, it's wise to wake up and to see, hey, yeah, there's manipulation going on all over the place in the long-term, mid-term, and short-term. Now I break up these three different areas, long-term stock manipulation being kind of one to two years or longer where there's a massive propaganda campaign to take down a stock or to pump up a stock for a long period of time. Now there's a mid-term stock manipulation game where it's more like a three to 12 months stock manipulation. And this is oftentimes where things are flooded in the media with FUD or propaganda and then at a certain time it reverses and you'll see the stock go up and the sentiment just drastically change all of a sudden. And then there's a short term stock manipulation where it could be just a day or two or a week or a few weeks. This is where big funds and big traders are trying to move the stock price in a certain direction. So either they pump it up and then they dump it or they suppress it and they buy it. And there's a lot of different gimmicks and methods that people use to manipulate the markets. Just this past week, Tesla skyrocketed to 960 and then it dropped like 100 points at the very end of the day and people are wondering what's going on and it dropped down to the 700s and now 600s and it's back up. And we're looking at this massive volatility in Tesla stock, what's going on? Jim Cramer had an interesting explanation this past week on Mad Money. He basically said, with Tesla, his theory is that people knew that Ron Barron, a huge Tesla bull, was coming on CNBC Squawk Box on Tuesday morning, which is a very important show where you get almost a full hour of airtime on CNBC. And so the big funds and traders, they bought on Monday and they basically bought in order to flip the stock. And so his theory is they bought heavily on Monday and they kept on buying during Ron Barron's talk. And at the end of the day, they basically just sold a ton of their stocks. So basically a pump and dump scheme, right? Pump it up and then dump it within a couple days. Jim Cramer's whole thing was like, this happens all the time and it's not a big deal with Tesla because in his opinion, eventually Tesla will get back up and it'll probably surpass that high over time. If you know about Jim Cramer, he has this video on YouTube where he kind of details a lot of the manipulation techniques that traders use to manipulate the stock up and down. If you go to the YouTube, talk in stock manipulation, Jim Cramer, and you're gonna find this video. He goes through a bunch of methods, but a lot of times these big funds and traders will do a multiple different things. And they'll use a lot of methods and oftentimes they'll use it all at once. So for example, they'll go ahead and they'll buy maybe some puts like a week or two out in a large amount to kind of stoke fear in people. And then they'll go ahead and spread articles to journalists that are very negative about a stock. And then they'll also call different trading desks to give them a so-called heads up on what's going on. And with this massive effort of many different ways to manipulate the stock at a certain point, then the trader flips and then they start buying the stock up. And so they get a discounted price and they buy it up. They kind of rinse and repeat this. And it can go both directions. It can be a pump and dump or 
work can be suppressed and buy. And this is the reality of the stock market. There is quite a bit of short-term manipulation. And there's different ways that even bots and high-frequency traders will manipulate the stock. They'll buy it a certain and then they'll dump it all of a sudden. Or they'll sell a large amount to bring down the stock artificially. And at a certain point, they'll reverse their position super fast to buy and bring up the stock price. And so you'll see these large bumps and large dips and a lot of volatility in some stocks. Some people like to think that they can profit off, off of this and they use charts and try to be a short-term trader. They'll try to look at the bumps and sell before it goes down or they'll look at the suppressions and they'll sell short and cover their shorts before the bump up. Now this works to a certain extent if you're a really, really amazing trader. However, there's a fundamental flaw in all this and the fundamental flaw is that these short-term kind of stock manipulators, they are usually people with lots and lots of funds at their disposal with tens of millions of dollars that they could just you know bump up or bump down the stock and spread disinformation, all this stuff. For this individual trader, however, they're disconnected to that original source of manipulation. They don't know exactly who's doing it, what's going on. All they're seeing is the results of the price. And therefore, they're just tracking to see like what's going up and what's going down and getting out. And oftentimes, most trading systems, you have to do a small percent of your holdings. And then you have to have a rigorous and disciplined kind of stop loss. You can't lose a certain amount. And this is really kind of like a job. You really have to be on it. You really have to learn from the best. But what brings some skepticism to me, and I've been to actually big trading conferences, and I've actually gone through uh, several major trading courses myself. And what concerns me the most about a lot of these trading systems is most popular traders, they're making usually more money off of their publications, off of their courses, than they are actually trading their own stocks. Because at a certain point, they're not able to trade tens of millions of dollars because it moves the market too much and their systems kind of don't work at that level. I'm not necessarily a huge advocate of seeing the massive potential and learning how to day trade. I think there's a role in that. And I think if you learn from the best and you make it kind of your full-time gig and you really get into it, spend 10,000 hours on it, there's possibility, yeah, you can become a pretty good trader. And there have been people historically who have made a ton of money with trading. The second type of stock manipulation is more of a midterm kind of stock manipulation. And I kind of look at this as more of a three to 12 month manipulation of stock. And usually I believe it's done through a massive disinformation campaign, kind of FUD and propaganda that's spread through the media. One example of this is in 2018 with Tesla. In the second half of 2018, when Elon was in turmoil and there was issues with tweets and he went on the Joe Rogan show and he smoked some marijuana. And then there was the 420 funding secure tweets and all that. But if you look at that time, it was amazing to see how much coverage Elon Musk and Tesla was getting on literally every single major media outlet out there. I remember there was a period of a few months where I was literally going through all of the major media sites and looking at coverage of Tesla and seeing Tesla and Elon Musk on the homepage every other day on a lot of these sites. It could be liberal or it could be conservative. I mean, we're, we're talking about looking at New York Times and CNN, but also looking at Fox News and Breitbart and the both have the same negative coverage of Elon Musk front page, you know, smoking marijuana, front page, you know, telling how Tesla's struggling to survive and all of this FUD and propaganda is just front and center. It was super obvious to me at that point is, oh my gosh, we're going through this massive propaganda campaign by people who's trying to profit on Tesla's price going down. What's more interesting is if you notice in the second half of last year, especially after Tesla delivered the Q3 earnings, that negative propaganda just almost completely stopped. It was like someone just turned off the faucet and then there's no more real propaganda campaign against Elon Musk or Tesla on these major media sites. It was just a complete black and white 180 degree turn. It was almost that people who were manipulating and spreading the FUD and propaganda and had decided to cover their positions and they, maybe they decided to go long on Tesla. And all of a sudden you see all of the FUD and propaganda dry up on a company. 
This reminds me of another example back when Facebook first went IPO and the stock was about $30. And I remember there was this huge FUD and propaganda campaign against Zuckerberg and Facebook. I remember very clearly there was all this media coverage articles how Zuckerberg was a poor CEO. Uh, he was too young and he was too immature and all of this stuff and how Facebook was just in a mess, especially because it had dropped after its IPO. And I remember for a period of about six months, there was this massive FUD and propaganda campaign. I remember going to one function and mentioning something about Facebook and this person was like, oh yeah, Zuckerberg is a terrible CEO. And I heard that words, I'm like, oh my gosh, this person really is just regurgitating what that person heard and saw in the media. They know nothing about Zuckerberg or Facebook because at that time, I had actually been following Facebook somewhat and I had known kind of the inner workings of Facebook. I understood what people thought of Mark Zuckerberg inside Facebook. I understood the Silicon Valley kind of perspective on Zuckerberg. And I understand that people in the know, there were people like, for example, the CEO of Y Combinator, who's an incubator in the Silicon Valley. He was bullish on Facebook at that time because he's like, hey guys, look, Facebook just needs to turn on the switch to make profits. It'll make profits like crazy. And people didn't understand at that time that Facebook was foregoing the turning on of the profit switch. And that's why they didn't have the revenues that Wall Street was expecting at that time. There's this massive midterm stock manipulation propaganda campaign against Facebook, against Zuckerberg to bring down the stock price in order for some people probably to sell the shares short and to profit. In order to combat this, I think the best way is actually to understand truth, is to understand what's really going on, the objective reality that actually, hey, Mark Zuckerberg is actually running Facebook like a very lean machine and his employees in the entire Silicon Valley understand right the prowess of Facebook and the, the profit generated potential that Facebook has. If you ask anyone at Google, they understood Facebook was legitimate at that time. And so when you understand objective reality and truth, when you go in and you do a deep dive, when you're not influenced by media and the herd and all these emotions and just shallow thinking, there's so much shallow thinking and analysis. There's so much just emotionalism in media and in people's reaction. But when you go against that and you actually look several layers deep and you look at what's really going on, that can give you an edge, a foundation to say, A, a lot of this hysteria is caused by FUD and propaganda and it's just not true. And that gives you an advantage when you analyze a company. The third type of propaganda I think is more of a long-term propaganda and long-term stock manipulation. I think in the case of Tesla, you've had kind of a long-term stock manipulation as well. You have different short sellers and bears who are very negative against Tesla, just have a multi-year kind of disinformation campaign against the company. You'll have people file a bunch of reports to the government against Tesla, for example, with NHTSA or different agencies. And personally, I think that's one of the reasons why the SEC actually went against Elon Musk because I thought at that time there was such a strong disinformation propaganda campaign against Elon Musk and against Tesla that it was not just culturally prevalent. I also speculate that SEC received a lot of complaints from people like short sellers and bears who were trying to take down Tesla. I think one of the best accountabilities to all the stock manipulation out there is the market itself. You know, when a stock gets down too far, there's going to be some people who come in and say, hey, this is way too cheap and they go in big and then they are the big winners as the stock rebounds. Or if the stock just gets over and for a company, let's say that doesn't really have much execution or the growth is really just a pie in the sky and the stock gets too high, you're gonna have people just short it and sell it. And there's accountability in the market where people are gonna come in at different points in time. So on one side, I understand that a lot of the manipulation out there is countered by the market itself. And the market itself provides kind of like a covering, an accountability system so that the manipulation has some type of limits. But however, on the other side, there are times where this manipulation actually does cause great harm to a company and even leads 
to its downfall and failure. There's many examples where short sellers have banded together for a disinformation campaign against a certain company. And the company is often dependent on banks or a constant incoming stream of financial loans or financial guarantees. In some ways, this massive propaganda campaign against this company can influence the banks. So they lower the credit rating of this company. And then as they lower the credit rating, the stock price goes down. And as the stock price goes down, they lower the credit rating. And then the credit rating affects the stock price. The stock price goes down. And pretty soon you see this company that was decently healthy before, but because they're dependent on the financial markets for survival, now it's basically becoming a bank run. This company is no longer able to survive because their stock price is tanked and the banks won't give them any more money. And you see actually companies like this actually go bankrupt because of the massive propaganda and disinformation campaign against certain companies. Any company in the future, I think, needs to be cognizant of the media battle and this propaganda war that's going on. You know, this is not just an investment issue. This is a societal issue at hand where you have massive amounts of information being spread left and right, being targeted and influencing people's mind and opinion on different things. And the true battle, I think, is to be grounded, to have objective reasoning and truth and to really know what's really happening, what's really going on. So where do you get this? Well, you're not going to get this on Yahoo Finance or CNBC or on New York Times or CNN. A lot of these journalists, they're just tools of the massive propaganda campaign. And a lot of these journalists don't even know they're tools. They think they're doing their job and writing their things, but they're being fed information from different people or the culture at large is projecting different things into their thinking. So they make certain rash judgments or short-term judgments on different companies or different things. To battle this, you really need to do what I'm doing on this channel, which is to stand for deep thinking. It's to stand for objective reasoning. And that's the whole point of this channel. Subscribe to my channel, it's gonna help out. What we're doing is we're trying to stand against this whole emotionalism, short-term focus of the markets and people. And we're trying to counter it with some really long-term, deep thinking, clear, objective analysis to understand what's going on, not just with companies, but with trends and with society. And this will help us to become clearer and better forecasters of the future. The rest of this video, I wanna answer a few questions that viewers have asked. The first question comes from Nikolai Mueller. He says, hi Dave, what's your opinion on ARK Invest's ETFs? Any pros or cons? Thanks. Yeah, I have mixed opinions on ARK. I mean, on one hand, I think their research on disruption is actually very helpful. If you take a look at their deck on the 10 big ideas of disruption that they publish, it's actually a very helpful kind of guide to understand or to bring some clarity on disruptive trends that are happening around us. On the flip side, you know, on the flip side, I think there's some downsides to the diversification fund of some of these ETFs, especially some of the ETFs that even ARK Invest holds. Because in a large basket of different stocks, let's say you have 10 or 20 or even 30 different stocks, there's gonna be big winners and there's gonna be a lot of average companies and some losers. And if you don't really know how to analyze this and if you don't really know how to forecast clearly and precisely, then you can spread out your bets amongst 10, 20, 30 companies. But if you have some clear forecasting and some preciseness in your thinking and analysis, then there's gonna be one or two companies that you think might be the breakout winners. And it kind of makes sense that you put more of your eggs in the basket for those breakout winners. Now in the case of ARK's ETF, now they have an ETF called ARKK. It's the innovation ETF where Tesla's probably their biggest position. But my understanding, and you can correct me if I'm wrong in the comments, is that they have a target 10% max position with just one company. And I think they have a hard limit of 15%. If a company starts to make an outsized run and the stock price is going through 
through the roof, then ARK is gonna have to sell that company's shares in order to get under their 15% hard limit. It kind of limits the upside of some of their funds because their big winners, they're just chopping it and just selling a lot of their big winners. Just in this past quarter, I heard that ARK had to liquidate a ton of their Tesla stock because Tesla had run so high. And so this kind of goes back to the question of diversification and the pros and cons. And I think there's a principle here is that if you can gain the essential skills of analyzing and valuing companies with exceptional quantitative, exceptional qualitative skills, and you can do it in a precise manner, then it's to your advantage that you actually pick out the biggest winners out there and you put as much as you can in those big winners. And all of this is said, of course, based on the premise that you're not investing money that I think that you shouldn't be investing. I think there needs to be some caution with investing where you do need to understand there are risks with investing and there's also risks you can overestimate your own ability to forecast in the future and there needs to be a humility and recognition of that. The next question is from Milan. He says, what do you think of NEO? It's also an EV autonomous car with the radar system. It's at $4.39 as of right now. All right, here's my thoughts on NEO. NEO is an electric vehicle manufacturer in China. There's a lot of chance that NEO can go up a lot and maybe it can go down. There's so much with NEO that I just personally don't know. You know, I've looked at some of their cars, I've looked at some of their literature, but I haven't done the deep dive that I usually do before I invest in a company. Now, I personally, before I, I invested in my first share in Tesla, in 2012, I spent over 500 hours of research on Tesla alone. I think you should put at least 100 hours of research into a company before you buy their stock. The second thing about NEO, which I recommend doing before you purchase the stock, is to get ground level information on the company and product. I think you need intimate information and knowledge on the actual product of the company. So I think you need a first-hand experience with the product, or you need to be very intimately connected to the actual owners of the product. You need to know what they like and what they dislike. You need to know the reputation. You need to know whether they think that this product is far superior than any other product on the market. Can NEO defend their superiority against competitors like Tesla? And I think you got to understand their leadership, like their strategy, their values, how they make decisions, and what's their strategy against Tesla in China. There's so many questions on NEO that require, I think, a ton of research and a ton of on the ground research as well. Does this company really have a far superior product than anything else on the market? And can they defend that superiority against other people in the industry? The next question is from Pat Flynn. Thanks, Dave, and congrats on 10,000 subs. Huge milestone you should be proud of. Appreciate the video and education. It's hard to keep a calm mindset during while the herd moves so quickly. My question, do you have insight on other companies that currently may be similar to the 2012-2013 stage of Tesla? First, I want to give a shout out to Pat Flynn. I recognize his name. I'm like, I know that person from somewhere. And I looked at his profile and he runs the Smart Passive Income podcast. I've listened to several podcasts from him over the years. And I think it's fantastic that he's on this channel watching the videos. So the question is like, what other companies are on my radar? What other companies have potential like Tesla to do a 10X or so? The way I look at it is there's several different categories of these 10X companies. One is you have a generational kind of 10X company. Next, you have a kind of a great 10X company, not generational, but you know, really good. And then the third category is you have more of a speculative, you're not sure they're really gonna be a fantastic company, but maybe they're just super undervalued and you can see a 10X. So in these three categories, I think the speculative category has the most risk. Now in this middle category, you can have companies that aren't necessarily the generational Apple or Amazon or Coca-Cola company, but they're fantastic companies that can do a 10X, let's say in five or 10 years. A couple examples of this. I was very bullish on Stripe and Airbnb. It was kind of two companies that I thought had 10X potential back when they were under five 
or $10 billion in market caps. In 2016, I sent some private messages to people asking them, how can I get Airbnb stock? How can I get Stripe stock? Now there's this whole market called the secondary market where people who hold the private stock sell their private stock on kind of like the secondary market and it's only open to accredited investors. And you can buy certain stocks on a limited availability basis. And at that time in 2016, I was exploring, hey, I think Stripe and Airbnb have a decent chance of doing a 10X in five to 10 years. I was looking into how can I acquire these type of companies. I ultimately decided to, to stick with Tesla because I felt like Tesla was in a different category than a Stripe or Airbnb. And Tesla was in a generational company category. And I'm gonna explain that in a second. Now with these great companies, for example, like a Stripe or Airbnb that can do a 10X in five or 10 years, it's fantastic if you can get in at an early valuation, like let's say under $5 billion and they take it up to $50 billion. I think that's kind of the safest 10X. Once you get to this place where they're already at like $100 billion, they need to do a, a 10X to $1 trillion to do that 10X. And a lot of these companies are IPOing later and later. And so once they IPO, they could be at 30, 40, $50 billion or more in valuation. Who knows, they could be close to $100 billion in valuation. And to do a 10X from that level can be more difficult. A few of the reasons why I was so interested in Airbnb and Stripe are because one, with Airbnb, I was using Airbnb a ton. And you could see the difference between Airbnb and let's say, HomeAway or VRBO. And you could see the kind of the escape velocity that Airbnb is having as they tackle more and more markets. Regarding Stripe, being in the software industry myself and being connected with developers, I understood the reputation that Stripe had with the developers and I saw the uptake that developers were just in love with Stripe. It just totally solved a lot of their problems. It just seems Stripe could just systematically iterate and solve more and more problems for developers and become a huge company. There are certain companies that come along and they just hit a sweet spot. These companies are just dominating and sometimes they're growing with network effects as well. And the last type of category of these 10X winners are the generational companies. And I put this in a special category because when a company can permeate culture and become like a daily part of culture, for example, Apple, you talk about Apple all the time, you use their phone, et cetera, or Google or Amazon. There's certain companies that permeate culture and become part of your daily life. The huge advantage of this is that you're able to monitor those type of companies so much easier than any other company. For example, if you're an early investor in one of these big generational companies that went huge, like an Apple or Amazon. Like you can monitor their ups and downs. You can see if they're continuing to defend their superior product and if there are any other products that are catching up. And this advantage of monitoring is an amazing benefit that you have if you're invested in a generational stock. Now, if you don't have a generational stock and you just have a great stock or even like a speculative stock, it becomes kind of like a job to monitor investments, especially once you have a large investment in a company. But investing in a generational company, it kind of makes the job of monitoring this company a lot easier. I shared this example in my last video about Coca-Cola and how so many family fortunes grew because of Coca-Cola stock. And these families could actually monitor the progress of Coca-Cola to see, hey, are people still drinking Coca-Cola or not? And if people are still drinking Coca-Cola, then maybe they hold on to their Coca-Cola stock. It's not very complicated. In terms of Tesla being a generational stock, these generational stocks, I think, don't come along too often. They're the ones that really are the big winners. And they're the ones that take an iconic place in culture. Tesla, sooner or later, I believe, is gonna have that iconic place in culture where everyone is gonna be talking about Tesla. It's gonna be part of their daily life and it's gonna be easy to monitor. And that advantage of just being easy to monitor is a huge benefit as a 10X investor. Now, there are a lot of other companies that I'm monitoring and I'm researching. And there are a lot of other companies where you know they're speculative in nature or they might be a possible great company and they might not be IPO'd right now and they might just be in the private markets, et cetera. And in my research, 
I'm hesitant to just give names up because a lot of times, for example, if it's more of a speculative company, I don't want to keep updating people on my position. Maybe I bought a little bit, maybe I sold. Maybe I bought or I bought more, and then maybe I didn't buy more. There's so many variables and it changes week by week. I'm not sure if I want to feel like I have to keep on updating people on all these companies and names and research that I'm doing. That said, I think it's a super important skill and I'm open to sharing more research. I'm just trying to figure out what's the best way to do that. Anyways, I'm gonna close there. I hope you like this video. Please share this video with others, like it, add a comment. Let me know what you wanna hear about in my next video. And also, please share this on Reddit and Facebook and email and forums, and this is gonna help get the word out. Anyways, good luck, and we'll see you in my next video. Thanks.